What's up, guys? Welcome back to another episode of the English Happy Hour Podcast. In today's show, we talk about a bunch of different things, primarily bass fishing smack talk from fisherman to fisherman, and uh, we go a little bit into uh, Nick's recent trip to the Bahamas as well. So hope you guys enjoy the show, and we will be back at you soon. All right, everybody, welcome back to another episode of the Angler's Happy Hour podcast. It's been a couple of weeks since we've uh, been talking to you, so uh, thanks for tuning back in. It's been a, a really busy week, uh, week or two for all of us. I've been at tournaments. Rob's been guiding. Nick has been uh, on an awesome fishing trip, so we'll catch up on all that. And then uh, I've got some funny topics to dive into also. But before we do that, let's run around the table. Rob, what's up with you, man? Uh, just been guiding a ton. Um Fishing's been pretty good. We haven't been catching any giants, but uh, you know, it's just that time of year we catch a lot of numbers. So it makes guide trips a lot of fun. Um, I had a trip at Pleasant. I literally landed on like the mother load of stripers, dude. It was like the oh. luckiest thing ever. First thing in the morning, absolutely wrecked them. I mean, we went like an hour and a half where I was just standing in the middle of the boat taking fish off one right after oh. another. So that was a lot of fun. That's cool. Um, and with the stripers, I'm like, I'm really learning the live scope. Um, you know, as they're, I was standing right next to my client. I was on the trolling motor and I'm like, cast right out there. He casts. <laughs> I said, you're about to get bit. Boom. He gets bit. Like I told him what was going on, but if I'd have just like, I could have just ignored it and he'd have thought I oh. was like creepy, weird. Knew exactly what did the what clients the think doing, about that? Dude, they did. They trip out like it's it's cool. I I don't think a lot of them realize what I show them on the screen what's going on, but I mean it's taken me a long time to figure it out. They're not going to figure it out in four hours, you know. Sure. So, uh, but a lot of fun. Um, also, uh, my motor has landed, so I've got a motor sitting at the dealership waiting uh, to go on the boat. We're waiting for some. Uh, throttle cables and maybe gauges. I don't know, waiting for something. It'll, it'll go on in the next week and a half or so. So I'm excited about that. So, Phenomenal dude. Yeah. Yeah. That's so yeah. cool. So that's about it. Just uh, staying busy and it's getting hot here. So we'll uh, start doing trips earlier and earlier in the morning. So are those fish chasing, like, are they on the surface boiling yet or are they just hold oh. up chasing bait? So the stripers were, I mean, they're just chasing bait. Occasionally they'd come up and boil, but I mean, we've, it's been an odd spring. Like we had, it was really cold early and then all of a sudden the shad came up and I mean, we haven't even really fished like spawning fish. We fished more like shad spawn bite, which is nice. to me a lot more fun. Oh uh, yeah. So, spawning fish with clients dude is, is terrible, man. It'll make you pull. It'll make you quit guiding. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But when they can cast and reel and, and, you know, cast into the, into the shad ball and catch one, that's when it's fun. So Nice. You just throw like a little swim bait or something. Yeah. A little swim baits. Um, what's funny on that striper trip. I mean, obviously it wasn't just a striper trip, but it ended up being that way in the morning. Um, I had one guy throwing a, a swim bait, a little quarter ounce jig head, a little Kitek swim bait. And, uh, the other guy, the first cast I had him throw a jerk bait. I net this fish and the jerk bait wads itself up in the oh. net. I never let him throw it again. I had him game over. I had him a swim bait and he can, <laughs> yeah. you know, caught him every cast with that. Seriously, not, that's the deal. Yeah, I'm not gonna deal with a jerk bait. Like and it's that, going in someone's hand. Yeah. Going in no, someone's hand you. and it's just a yeah. 
Yeah, and I get frustrated and start cutting my net, and I need to get a better <laughs> net for jerk baits. But <laughs> cutting your net. <laughs> oh yeah, I just like I can't get that it out of there is. quick enough, right? Yeah. <laughs> you need a paddle, dude, with those stripers. That way, uh, or one of those little mini baseball bats they use. Uh, <laughs> yes. Every, just every, just every fish them. you get with trouble, it's just just knock its lights out, dude. Yeah, or a four ten. <laughs> there you go. Uh, yeah. So that's that's all I've been up to. Uh, it's been a fun spring so far. Nice. That's awesome, dude. Glad to hear it's busy. How about you, Nick? I know you've been busy too, man. We'll get into your trip a little later, but what, uh, what's been going on before and after you went fishing? Yeah, it's been a blur, honestly. I don't have anything that exciting outside of just had an exceptional trip to the Bahamas with my brother. And I was having a little bit of fun on my Instagram page about some of the weird encounters that we were having. It was like a dystopian paradise. It was, it was really fun. Hmm. And uh, it was cool, man. Just a whole a whole experience from the moment I left my house in Gilbert until the moment I got back. It was pretty surreal. But uh, outside of that, man, just been busy with work. Definitely, you know, it's weird. My stuff just kind of ebbs and flows and it's really cooking right now. So yeah, man, just wiping butts and putting out fires in my business life. And that's about, that's about it. <laughs> that's good. Well, you got to take advantage of it when it's hot and uh, when you can. So that's good. Yeah. I'm glad it's busy. Yeah. Thanks, man. It's cool. And it's, I don't know, we, we're just living in such bizarre times. Mortgage rates have done like cartoonishly awful things. And yet mm-hmm. the market here locally is just, it's good. So wow, thanks for that. Just goes to show how dumb people are. Yeah, exactly. They just got, they just got sold. No, I'm just kidding. I think it's still probably still good. I mean, cause you look at it, like if, you know, there's always kind of that classic sentiment of oh, I'm going to wait for prices to go down or I'm going to wait for this or wait for that. Dude, in the last two years, mortgage rates went from like cartoonishly, historically tiny to like they're still within a historical, you know, range of normal. But just from looking at like how much that's eroded your purchasing power, definitely shooting yourself in the foot. So I don't know. Hmm. There's always two sides to every coin, but it's uh, you just try and make the best of it and figure it out. It's like that's an 11 cool. year high, isn't it? Dude, yeah. And it's like, and how fast it went up, man. I mean, what's today, like April 23rd or something? I mean, from the from the beginning of this new year to now, that's like three and a half months or whatever that is. I'm not good at math. Four and a half months. It has like, I mean, it's gone from like in the twos to in the fives. <laughs> so what is that, 150% increase? And when you're buying a $300,000 home, the difference between a 3% interest rate and a 6% interest rate really changes your monthly payment and prices you out of, you know, what you could have bought just a few months ago. So I don't so know. That's going to have effect on everything. I mean, it, like the recreational stuff, like a boat, I mean, obviously oh, interest dude. rates are going sky high with that. I mean, it, it's got to, it's got, there's got to be a correction of some sort, huh? Yeah. And I guess, you know, it, obviously it's no surprise to anyone that obviously everyone knows that inflation is just rampant and the cure for that is higher interest rates. Right. So it sucks. Like the cure is never pleasant, but you know, ultimately hopefully that's just what cools this thing down but it's probably going to be kind of a, a bumpy turbulent thing for the next foreseeable future you know so yeah it's all good so i just got to fish more right care less fish more well at least when you are on the water hopefully you're not thinking about that kind of stuff so <laughs> i know an island somewhere in the caribbean where it didn't seem like anyone was too affected by rising mortgage rates the tide still came in and went out and have you ever seen i know josh you're a big office fan rob did you ever watch much of the office a little bit here and there yeah josh remember the episode when michael goes to jamaica with um, his boss and he comes back and he's got a red gold oh yeah yeah he was yes 
dude, he leaks a photo of his boss laying topless, like face down on a, a lawn chair. And then he accidentally copies everyone in the office and sends it to him. And he's just down in the basement playing the steel drum, singing hot, hot, hot to himself. Cause he's like loathing in his mistake. Dude, there's been a moment since I got back that I feel like Michael, I just want to go like into my garage and play a steel drum. Cause it's just like the hangover has been severe. Hilarious. That's <laughs> such a great episode. That was such a funny show. Love it. It's an amazing show. Yeah. I wish there was, there's just nothing good like that anymore really dude on TV, but man, what a show that was. Yeah. Was I, good, so. I can't wait to hear more about it, dude. It, <laughs> yeah. You talk about two different universes, you know, oh, uh, just where we live in our country and then what it's like in a place like that. I could see how the, uh, you know, the return back to reality would be a challenge. I was secretly hoping that my self-administered COVID test would come back positive and I'd have to quarantine down there for 14 more days. I thought about trying to like cook a, fa a false positive and then be like, oh, sorry guys. Like, I guess I'm just down here for the foreseeable future. Sorry. Yeah, that's one way to do it. <laughs> so what's up with you, man? Not too much here, man. Just, um, you know, I, I was over at Heavy Hitters, uh, just like Redcrest, uh, absolutely took it on the chin there. So um, I'm not going to have a whole lot to go into about that tournament. I'm just looking forward to, frankly, you know, we've had so many of these shallow, dirty water tournaments. And in the past, I mean, I, I can hold my own in those tournaments, but they've never been my strength at all. And um, I'm ready to, to – hit some open water get into some deeper water some summertime fishing and uh we've got one more tournament i'm leaving tomorrow to the lake of the ozarks and it really um er, when i saw it early on the schedule i thought it'd be like a postponed tournament and, and the the weather's been so cold oh. in that part of the country those fish are literally just on the front end of getting ready to hit the beds again mm -hmm. so um it's all good uh, i'm gonna make the most of it go uh fish hard and, and hopefully have a good tournament but um it's just going to be another basically not sight fishing but spawning phase tournament pre-spawn spawn phase tournament uh where things change a lot through the week and um it's just going to be a really dynamic tournament so uh get through that one hopefully it goes really well and then just uh lord get me to some some deeper <laughs> offshore fish because i'm sick of it dude there's been five of these tournaments already cold water and then up to pre-spawn spawning tournaments let's get uh let's get to the summer already <laughs> not looking forward to the heat but damn dude i've had enough of uh you know grinding my trolling motor on the bottom to catch a bass so yeah i bet uh anyways yeah i've been back home for the week just doing a lot of catch up you know i've been home hardly at all and that's a big reason on why we've been uh, lacking on some of the podcasts i just haven't been home um so i've been back this week getting caught up a uh, couple quick little funny stories from that last tournament over at palestine um off the water so i had two pretty interesting dining experiences uh, <laughs> when I was down there the first night there and also the last night there the first night and maybe that was where some of the bad juju had started for me but that first night we go to uh this Mexican restaurant I'm with uh James Elam Gerald Sporer and Gerald's girlfriend Maggie and um we had just checked into our house which ended up being a trailer in a trailer park we we're little bit concerned about our gear throughout the week it, you know it wasn't it was one of those that looked awesome on the website airbnb but a little different when you pull up so we 
we uh, not that there's anything wrong with trailer park, but we were concerned about our gear when we were sleeping. We were sleeping with one eye open. That leads to that. a real restful night of sleep. Yep. Yep. Exactly. Um, anyways, we are we we pick out this restaurant and drive into Tyler, Texas. Get to the restaurant and there's a little wait. You know, twenty minutes, no big deal. We sit down. And you could tell the restaurant's understaffed, just like all restaurants are right now. And, uh, you know, really good service. It, when you do get good service, you really appreciate it extra right now because you know how hard the people are having to work. And um, that just means they have a lot of, uh, you know, passion of what they do, right? And, uh, but, but you just, you're a little more understanding of things being slow and stuff like that. Well, we, our waitress comes up to the table uh, to introduce herself, herself and, and take the, the uh, first orders, you know, drink order or whatever. And uh, she's just very different. She's off in a way. And uh, <laughs> we're trying to kind of figure it out. You know, we're giving her the, the drink orders and looking at appetizers or whatever. And uh, we're just wondering, I'm thinking maybe there's like a little bit of a handicap. And, uh, you know, obviously we're trying to be patient, but like there's just something really off. It takes forever to to make this order. Someone at the table had ordered a Michelob Ultra, and uh, <laughs> very exotic. She is very confused by it, and she <laughs> repeatedly asking him what kind of alcohol he wants in the Ultra. Oh, and uh, <laughs> like I want to do a sake bomb yes, with a Michelob and, and Ultra. He's like, um, just just that, just. The, the beer and she's like but what kind so anyways and she's talking really slow and she's like so she walks away and we're like extremely confused extremely confused of what's going on and we're watching her just kind of wander around this restaurant not really knowing where she's going knowing what she's doing she goes a little later she goes to the next table over there are actually a few tables over there's empty tables in between and uh, we hear them order nachos and waters for everyone at the table. So like, and then we're sitting there for 15 more minutes, just like just waiting. And finally she comes back and she's got this tray of nachos and waters and she wanders over to our table nice. and uh, dude in slow motion, she just dumps these nachos <laughs> all over Nachos and water all over the table and all over James. Oh. James was like a cat. He jumped out of the seat so quick, but <laughs> there was still some collateral damage. And, uh, <laughs> dude, we realized, like, this lady is high as could be. Uh, and uh, James like, let's get out of here, dude. Let's get out of here. We hadn't put in our actual food, food orders yet. And uh, we just got up and left, man. It was oh. – uh, because if if it was going that rocky and we hadn't even ordered our food yet and we had been in there for 45 minutes had oh. some free chips and salsa and that was it dude so we just walked up to the front and uh and bounced but that lady <laughs> was in for a real rough night you know real rough night uh, do you have photos of james with nachos all over him <laughs> dude he was so quick like he you know his reflexes saved him from having a really really bad situation he didn't need to change or anything but he took the most of it no one else really got <laughs> covered but she was at the wrong table and you just knew that was gonna happen like it was it was in slow motion so that's how the week started uh food wise and then the end of the week um 
Kelly Jordan was nice enough to invite us over to his, cause he lives over there in Tyler and he wasn't fishing heavy hitters, but he lives right next to uh, the lake. And uh, he invited us over for dinner the last night that we were there. And uh, I'm leaving the next day. I got to get up early and um, you know, I wasn't trying to be rude, but I was going to eat and hang out for a few and then, and leave, you know, relatively early. So I drove separately from Gerald cause I knew Gerald might want to hang out a little bit longer so have a great meal, hang out. And then uh, while we're eating, though, the storm of the spring rolls through and uh, we lose power, first off. So we, we ate all the food under cell phone light. <laughs> and then um, I go to my truck. Oh, and like the cell phone towers, too, like had taken a hit. All of a sudden, I lose <clears throat> all cell phone service. So there's no power in the house. There's no cell phone service. We're back in the woods. And I'm like, my wife, you know, had a lot going on at home that day. And I'm like, I get it, you know, I got to get out of here so I can touch base, let her know that everything's okay. And uh, I, I go to leave and there are trees knocked down galore all through the oh. neighborhood. And they live in a, a quiet little neighborhood, one way in, one way out. And, uh, you know, I go a couple hundred yards and there's the whole neighborhood with chainsaws trying to, I mean, trees that are you know, four or five feet wide, they're, they're, they're having to cut them. And, and it was a process, dude. It took oh. uh, over another hour to get these trees cleared <laughs> and uh, get out of the neighborhood. So um, just a difficult week for me. Um, <laughs> overall, I was well, glad to get home and I'm hoping the next week's a lot smoother. Dude, what dude, kind man. of wind does it take to knock a tree like that over? It had Big trees, dude. I yeah. don't know. It was, it blew all week. It blew all week on the water, and then, but this storm was intense, dude. And, and being sh inside the house sheltered, I don't think I understood how bad it was. But I mean, it knocked down some big trees. I don't know. I mean, way over fifty miles an hour had to yeah. wow. to knock that, trees down like that. Was that part of the reason that lake didn't produce the way it was expected to, or or am I missing something? No, Did the it... wind the wind was so devastating it just crashed a lot of the lake, and um and, and those fish live so shallow in that lake that you get a hard wind, it it blows out certain areas, just stuff that's obviously being hit, but um. Another thing it kind of does is it does create a wind tide when it blows that hard for several days in a row out of the north like it did in practice. It, if fish were living in the, the, the bushes and, and trees and grass in that lake are only in a foot of water. I mean, they're mm -hmm. very shallow. So if the wind blows out of the north for uh, two, three straight days, it's going to blow all that water out of the north and push it to the south. So now those trees are six inches deep and uh, that ultimately it kind of corrected itself and ended up blown out of the South. But, um, you know, I know that myself personally, I went through a couple of those better areas in the North end on the second day after it had blown the water out. And I got a real bad taste in my mouth of what, of what I didn't catch. You know what I mean? And some of those areas, when the water blew back into them in the tournament out of the south, they ended up being some of the best areas in the tournament where guys like Jordan Lee and Dustin Cannell and Justin Lucas ended up actually fishing. Um, so uh, bad, bad deal on my part going through when it was low and not recognizing, hey, you know, don't, don't count this area out because it's just the conditions aren't right for it right now. Um, so I, I, it, and it also just, you know, in practice, when it was blowing like that, it just bottles everyone up in the small areas that are protected, 
right? I mean, everyone has to fish protected water when it's that windy. It just makes a lake fish a lot smaller. So even though there were only 15 boats on the water a day in our tournament, it just, it put everyone in the same areas basically. Mm -hmm. So yeah, it was, it was disappointing to see really overall, th there were some, some decent fish caught, but I was hoping for better, you know, uh, myself and across the board. There were some exciting fish catches though, man. A few of those big, like it was Brent Ehlers frog fish that won one of the checks the days. Oh yep. my gosh. What you can watch that over and over and over. It was so cool. The way that thing, that fish sucked it in was unbelievable. Oh. Just that, that sound it made. <laughs> it was so uh, cool. And the visuals of it. So cool, man. I can only imagine what it feels like to be the person performing that. Cause it's uh, pretty exciting to watch. Yeah, Josh, just real quick, what are the qualifying criteria for the heavy hitters real quick for people that don't know? Yeah, so in the heavy hitters, uh, we're already working towards next year's heavy hitters, but it's kind of a unique tournament because they take your heaviest bass you catch in every tournament, regular season stage, and they add them up through the course of the year. So that was last year's, you know, you fished last year to qualify for this year's heavy hitters, which we just fished. And the top 30 guys that have the biggest cumulative big bass weight from every tournament make it into the tournament so it usually takes about a five pound average we've, we've had two of them now and uh it takes about a five pound average a tournament to get in um there's some guys that end up having some ungodly averages like the top three or four guys will have almost a seven pound average for their biggest nice. fish but usually about a five pound average gets you in and right now i think i'm sitting in like 24th so i just need to kind of to keep it in there and these early in the year tournaments where you go in the lakes that you can catch a 10 pounder it's a really a big huge deal, deal. Yeah. yeah that's how you can lock yourself in or really screw yourself if you leave a big fish body of water with a three pound big fish you're toast uh-huh uh -huh. but so far this year i think it, i had a see like fork you needed a big one at fork i had a seven eight at fork and that was just barely above average um darbone that louisiana deal i had about a five pounder um and then smith lake all spotted bass so you're not gonna see i don't even know if there was a five pounder caught maybe one or two but a three pounder is gonna be okay there and i had like a i don't know a three and a half so i'm sitting at about that five five and a half pound average i just need to keep that up for the rest cool. of the year but pretty anyway. interesting yeah so uh let's move it into uh some other fishing talk and then we'll finish of course with uh, with next trip but um we were laughing, the, the guys on the show, the three of us, we were laughing about, on Wired to Fish, we saw a, a video of, or an article of a, of a group of friends that love to talk smack to each other about fishing. They had actually taken the time and money to take out a billboard, and on the billboard is a picture of their buddy Troy, and it says, Troy sucks at fishing. What a... Uh, what a way to talk smack and, and, and give it to your buddy. Yep. It says, this is Troy. He sucks at fishing. Um, <laughs> that's in Brainerd, Minnesota. Of course, that fishing country. And uh, it just kind of made me think about some of the smack talk that we've done to each other as fishermen, um, which we do a lot. We've got our, our, our plenty of our own little inside jokes. Some of them have bled into the podcast. That's what makes fishing fun is, 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 having the fun camaraderie the right the camaraderie absolutely so um what's been, there's been a little feud going on lately between uh matt lee <laughs> and cliff crochet 
and uh, they're they're really good buds. They uh, they've been fishing the tour for a long time. Uh, they're you know they're both in the fantasy football league that we're in, and I, I, I'm wondering if if this didn't start in the fantasy football league. I was telling Rob earlier. I think uh, Cliff was just really upset that Matt had drafted Alvin Kamara, the Saints player, um, in the draft before Cliff. Cliff was trying to stake a claim of course, on him. And Pat, Matt all of his New Orleans love, right? Exactly. I mean, Matt obviously drafted him because he's Alvin Kamara and he's a stud, but I think also a little bit to get at Cliff. So um, <laughs> that may be where it started, but I'm just gonna I'm gonna play on my phone into the into the speaker a couple of the things that have been posted this week uh, on TikTok. So I don't know if, it, if anyone's got TikTok. I'm not a big TikToker myself, but that's where I saw this. Um, so let's, let's start with Cliff's with, let's start with Matt's impression of Cliff. I'm pulling it up right now and we'll see if y'all can hear this. Here we are at team two qualifying Smith Link. And, uh, this is Cliff. <laughs> this is Matt's impression. Play it one more time. It's so funny. <laughs> Can you guys hear that? I can't. It distorts a little bit, but I think we're good. Oh my goodness, that's it's just amazing. That's all I can say. So pretty harmless. It's just Matt, you know, yeah. basically talking in Creole, giving the Cliff a hard time. What's funny is you talk to Cliff in person, and I love these guys both to death, by the way. He's so easy to understand. But yeah. you put a microphone in front of him, and it's so much harder <laughs> to understand. So Cliff obviously took it very personal because uh, this And was he Cliff's, went to the next level. This is Cliff's rebuttal, um, posting a video of Matt. Hey, I'm professional angler, major league fishing, bass pro tour angler, Matt Lee, and these are five baits that I can't live without. Dad, coming up, Matt Lee, here's my top five favorite baits. I'm from Coleman, Alabama. War Eagle, roll tight. Here we go. First bait, daddy's money. Gotta have it. That's how I started professional fishing. That's what keeps me on the road, daddy's money. Oh, no. Second bait, famous brother, Jolie. War Eagle, woo! Here we go. Famous brother, two Bassmaster Classics, Bass Pro Tour Angler of the Year. Famous brother. People think I'm him. People think he's me. Helps my career big time. Beat number three, my mother-in-law's real estate company. She got money. She gave it to my wife. I got a job to go to when I'm not catching fish. Mother-in-law's real estate company. That's a good one. That one, beat number one, daddy's money, and beat number three, go together. Got it, huh? That's like shooting someone with a water gun and getting them wet. And then they come back with like a knife and a semi-automatic rifle. I mean, it's pretty, pretty aggressive. That's what Chantel said too. Dude. The same, same thing. That is like, he, <laughs> he might've gone a little too far there. Shoots fired. Feet <laughs> <laughs> unshooted. Uh, so pretty good though. Pretty good and stuff. They're, they're friends. Matt so do, Matt can handle it. Yeah, and, yeah. uh, I'm just kind of curious if Matt is going to again, take it another step further or if they're just going to kind of drop it. But um, 
That thing I might be it. brewing like a, a pot of black coffee at 5 a.m. I'd be interesting to see what the response from Matt's going to be on that. No kidding. No kidding. Do you guys have anything like any uh, – any any stories or anything that you've uh, any any little inside things that you got going with buddies that this reminds you of? I do, but I want to see what Rob's first instinct is. Nothing that I can think of offhand, but I think we need to get Troy from Minnesota on the podcast. Yeah, poor guy. Give him a chance to Seriously. protect yeah. himself. Yeah. Imagine yeah. driving down the road and seeing that. That would be great. <laughs> Because you know they pick a spot where he's going to see it. It's probably his like daily commute or something. Seriously, yeah, Had yeah. Hopefully, been. yeah. Man, well, I remembered uh, friends of the podcast for sure. Our buddy Mark Walker and Joey Jarrell. Remember their college um, tour fishing, Josh, and they had had a tough tournament somewhere, and they were friends. <laughs> but then they also had a real high level of friction that would come from time to time. And obviously, the language isn't you know, family podcast worthy, but suffice to say, as they were arguing and fighting in the truck for like the 16 hour drive home, they just resorted to like kindergarten level. No, you effing suck. You couldn't even catch a fish punching. And then he'd be like, Oh yeah, well you effing suck because you couldn't catch." And there was tit for tat back and forth. Right. Do you remember that Josh? Oh, I remember Mark telling us, yeah, word for word of, of the argument. And it was classic, man. I, and Mark's probably listening. That was, uh, that was such a funny deal. Dude. Oh, and then so much mileage from that. So then my brother and I last week in the Bahamas, we were on the struggle bus big time and sucking it up. And I had to explain the inside joke to him. And then it quickly divulged into me just berating him all the time about how bad he was at casting how he didn't know where to take us to catch anything. And then of course I would pepper in a lot of UFing sucks in there. And uh, it's a good time for sure. Nick, but. What Nick loves to do is let the other person kind of be in control of picking the areas, <laughs> picking the baits, and then talk a massive amount of crap. If it's not going perfectly, that's kind and of say Nick's nothing. Role. If it does. Correct. Yeah. yeah. But yeah, no, I remember that one for sure, dude. Um, Okay, so, and speaking of your trip, we'll get into it in a minute. Real quick, I do want to run through our last episode. We had talked about strange things that we've caught. Um, we, and we had asked the listeners to write in and, you know, write in what, what's the craziest thing that you've actually caught. Maybe non-fish related, just something that you've caught on your line. And uh, we, we picked a few out that kind of stood out to us. Um, one of them, I'm just going to read a couple of these replies that I had screenshotted here. I think I'd have them queued up, but I never do. Um, okay, this one is Josh Woodyard. Thank you for writing in. On the topic of crazy things pulled out of a lake, I snagged a female sex toy a couple years ago. <laughs> had to accept my loss and cut my lure and the toy off into the trash. No way I was touching that. <laughs> Another one I snagged. Another one is I snagged a muskrat. As I was trying to pull it in closer to save some line, a pike or muskie exploded on the mus muskrat. So that's actually pretty cool. Way better. Incredibly cool. Yep. So that's a good one. Um, or a bad one, depending on how you look at it. <laughs> Another one here is uh, from a guy named Michael. Thank you for writing in, man. Early in the morning, I dropped. They were they were ice fishing. He prefaces it saying he was ice fishing in a ice shack on Lake of the Woods. Early in the morning, I dropped a can of bush light down the ice hole by accident. Of course, it's bush light when you're ice fishing. <laughs> While we're set up, we were set up in about 30 feet of water. The walleye and saugers were cruising real tight to the bottom. 
We fished through the morning bite, catching a few here and there. I stared to mark another fish. I was jigging very tight to the bottom and occasionally pounding the bottom with my jigging spoon. I raised the spoon up to see if a fish would follow and my rod loaded up. Fish on. I was reeling it in and it felt very heavy and was just dead weight, like a pig walleye in cold water would act. At this point, my buddies all gather around and surround me while I wait for this big fish to come up through the hole. I can tell it's getting close, so I peek down in the hole. I freak out and kept saying, no way, no way, no way that happened. I had hooked the outside rim of my bush light that I had dropped in the hole earlier. We laughed pretty hard for a bit after that one. You drank it too, I bet. <laughs> Dude, yeah, think about that. 32.9 degree bush light right there. It's cold yep. as it gets. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And here's another one from our buddy, Steven. I caught a lawn chair at a Dobson ranch <laughs> once. That's a good one. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and then uh, my buddy TC is notorious for hooking used diabetic needles out of Tempe Town Lake. Ugh. That's not a yeah. good one. Diabetic needles in air quotes, also known as, you know, opioid <laughs> exactly. epidemic. <laughs> yep, yep, yeah. It reminds me of fishing the uh, Delaware River back in the uh, back Yeah, in you the have day. a good one there, yep. Yeah, you know, it's a... Uh, I don't think I've caught anything. I, I talked about that underwear uh, that I had caught uh, on the podcast not too long ago. I don't think I've caught anything too, too crazy. How about um, I saw on Wired to Fish another one where, or on a Bass Blaster, a dude had caught a, uh, a dead bass in the mouth. And then uh, Edwin was telling me a story, Evers, that he had caught one time fish in a brush pile. He had caught a dead bass in the mouth. You know, a bass that had like <laughs> gotten wrapped up you know, someone hooked it, it got wrapped up in the fishing line in the pile and broke off and then died. And then Edwin was fishing the pile, I think with a crankbait and literally just perfectly hooked it in the mouth, came off the other hook and reeled it in. And it was a dead decaying bass <laughs> hooked in the mouth. Is uh, a penalty, is a dead fish penalty the same? <laughs> yeah. Or does it count? Dude. So it, there's been a couple times in tournaments where like you see a dying fish and, uh, you're not going to try to not catch it if it's still alive. Right. But like, <laughs> I, I, and stop me if I've told this one on the podcast, but I was at Chesapeake Bay and I'm rooming with Clifford Perch. This is like 2015. We're fishing elite series. And after the first day of the tournament, he gets back and tells me we're fishing this big Creek, both of us, right. Uh, you know, locally to the lawn tram, it's called Northeast. It's about, I don't know, four miles long, this creek. It's a big creek. You could fish it all day and not see each other, but you know you're going to fish some of the same water at some point. Anyways, Cliff gets back to the house, and he's like telling us, oh, you know, there was this fish that I saw. It was so hard to catch fish in this tournament. It was August. The water was terrible quality. A limit was golden, right? And there's like a two and a half, he tells me, this is like a two and a half pounder that's swimming right under the surface. It's dying. Like it's long and thin. <laughs> and... uh he sees this thing swimming and he pitches his stick bait to it, weightless stick bait. And this fish slowly kind of makes an effort to go towards it and actually takes a bite of it, but bites behind the hook. You know, he only bites like the back two inches of the bait. So you can't set the hook. You can't do anything to it. You know what I mean? And Cliff's like, oh, come on, take a better bite. And then the fish lets it go and then swims down and, and disappears. And uh, he's like, oh, man. So he's telling this story. And I'm not kidding you. The next day, dude, middle of the day, I'm fishing, and there's this two and a half pounder in <laughs> swimming right under the surface. And uh, I'm like, oh my god! So I, all I have, 
I don't have a, a weightless stick bait. I got a jig and I pitch my jig over to it and I kind of like try to swim it in front of his face. And he takes this like weak little nibble just goes uh, like that and like barely touches the back of the trailer. You know what I mean? It doesn't get it. And same thing. I'm like, Oh, come on, get it. And uh, never gets it. So I go back to the house and I tell Cliff, dude, were you in this little pocket on this side of the Creek over here? And he's like, yep, yep. That's the one. So that fish probably died later that night, you know, or the next day, but um <laughs> I don't know Crazy. If, if you were to catch that fish, it, it would have looked so bad and been so dead by weighing. You would have had some weird, weird looks like, did you really yeah. catch this thing or did you literally just pick it up off the surface? Oh <laughs> uh, yeah. yeah. I, I, it's not a fishing story, but on the topic of needles made me think of something I, uh, yes. and it, maybe I've told this one, but uh, I, one of my more savory mobile homes that I bought in the beginning of my, adventure of doing those was like absolutely 100% like the like shadiest crack house dope house like it was terrible I bought it from the bank 100% destroyed and over like the six weeks that we were renovating it and getting it back into shape to rent people like these creepy characters and like old beat up cars would just sit out front and drive by real slow trying to figure out if their if their spot was still you know what was going on so then fast forward two years later, something I've got tenants in there and they're like, something's up with the septic system on this. You know, it's like, it's the toilets are flush and slow. And it's like, Oh, okay. No problem. I'm sure that the tank just needs to be pumped. So I sent a company out there to pump the septic and dude, it was like 15% normal contents of what a septic tank should have and 85% needles. Oh. The guy was like, I was so scared as I was pumping because it was just needles coming out. Oh, so apparently that what? was they thought they were just going to flush all their, you know, paraphernalia and, and it was a septic tank. So it was just all sitting in there. And Dude, that's horrible. The toilets flushed much better after that, but it was literally just like a, a pin cushion of, you know, diabetic needles in air quotes. Must've been a lot of diabetics living in that house before. <laughs> wow. So that's gross. Nasty. The name of that street too is butternut. The best address ever. Could you imagine living on butternut? I always refer to it as butternuts. Like when I turn utilities on and stuff, like, yeah, 9135 butternuts. Dude, that sounds like, it sounds like a nice little rural street in Georgia. <laughs> yeah. You know, yep. some like nice area in Georgia, butternut, you know, just nice. Oh, butternuts had like someone pushing a shopping cart out in front of it 24 hours a day, 365 days a year, just like, you know, running the spot. But sweet. Yeah, it was a good one. Hey, I get needles. We'll, we'll be renting a house on that street at some point for a tournament before <laughs> yeah. too long. The way and it's make been sure going. You say it plural. Nuts. <laughs> Man, well, dude, uh, let's uh, let's roll into your trip, Nick. What uh, can you t- tell us? You know, we know what, where you're at, but uh, for the listeners, tell tell them where you were and uh, just kind of how the trip went. Yeah, man, it was cool. This one was kind of in a similar vein to taking a you know Mexican Greyhound bus with rod tubes, not knowing what's going to come. My brother um, is is really devout fly fisherman, and uh, this time around when we got to do a little trip together, just us, he got to pick because you know he went on the the bus adventure and was throwing up at the depot in Nogales last time, so he got to pick, and he chose to go to a um, pretty remote island in the Bahamas called Eleuthera. And Eleuther is nice. It's definitely not like Nassau and Atlantis level tourism, but there's an American Airlines flight there. And there's one end of the north end of the islands, pretty touristy. 
But then the rest of it is like from north to south, it's about a two hour drive on a little highway and it's sparsely populated, not touristy at all. It's really cool, you know, and they drive on the left hand side of the road. So we rented a car and like for four days, we were driving on the left side of the road and had some like white knuckle moments going through inner. It was all good until you got to an intersection and everything in your brain shuts down because you think you need to be on the right side. You know what I mean? And then it's like. Oh, it was luckily my brother handled it great. Cause there were a couple of moments where I was like, okay, hold on. Like the hell is going on here? Like which lane is ours? How do we do this? But so we got there, um, had a pretty easy red eye flight to Miami and then just a couple hour layover and then a smaller jet to get to Eleuthera. And we, uh, we always like to do things DIY style. So we don't ever hire a guide on those trips and my brother's a nerd. So he had researched it exhaustively and had you know six or seven areas that he wanted to check out and you know we got a pretty cool airbnb we got we had a hard time finding it and then we got there and it was it was rough the pictures made it look a lot better it's kind of like your experience at palestine you know it's like oh this would be great and then you get there and you're like eh, it's like a 72 out of 100 when you thought it was gonna be like a 95 out of 100 it was on but the beach that- it was yeah so that part was epic but then it's just you know it's kind of like third world country style so there's like <clears throat> You know, I opened the refrigerator and there's a dead cockroach just like chilling in there. And then, dude, the first morning I went to the bathroom and I'm barely awake. You know, I'm shaking off the cobwebs and uh, there's an unwrapped roll of toilet paper, right? Like a brand new roll of toilet paper. And it's one of those ones that has just like the paper shrink on it, you know, and you have to tear it up to get the toilet paper roll out. So I'm sitting on the bathroom, just kind of like foggy. And I reach over and I grab that roll of toilet paper and I tear it open and like a two and a half inch cockroach crawls out of it and goes down my leg and i shoot up off the toilet and i freak out and it was like what in the boof like going you know i'm just like having a tourette's moment doing this big black cockroach just like scurries away and goes and you know through a little hole in the wall on the floor and he's gone like what a nice little present how did he get in there dude like i don't even understand it's like he's been in there since it left the factory i don't even know but that was kind of the tone for that but it was cool, man. That style of fishing is uh, really tidal based. We were trying to catch bonefish on our fly rods and they uh, are an awesome fish. They're not, they don't get super large. They're like, you know, a fish over seven pounds is, you know, like a really quality, like, like something kind of maybe like large mouths in that sense. Like that's, that's definitely the target, but they're, they're, uh, they live in shallow water. You catch them in shallow water. They kind of go all over the place, but when they're most catchable on a fly rod is when they're on the flats. And so you'll be fishing in like eight inches of water or maybe like, you know, knee high water, whatever that'd be, you know, 24 inches. And, and they're like almost translucent. That's why they're called that. So they're pretty hard to see and they're always moving. Like they don't relate to cover or anything. They're just like predators. So they're just cruising around that one comes into your line of sight it's like glassing for deer probably. Right. But like when you see one, they're cooking and they're food for everything else. So, I mean like kudas and sharks and osprey. So they're kind of like that sandwich predator where it's like they're predatory, but then they're also food for everyone above them. So they just have this attitude of like they're neurotic. Right. And so you, you'll be spending this time waiting along as quietly as you can. And then all of a sudden, you know, two of them or a school of them or a single will show up. And you probably have like 25 seconds to like get your act together, make some type of a decent presentation, hope that they eat it. And, and, you know, there's people who are great at it, but I am atrocious. Like I finally caught one this trip 
we did a Bahamas trip like six years ago and we we're there for five days and I caught one that trip. And this time around we we're there for three days and I finally caught one. Um, and so it was, we were on the struggle bus for sure, but, uh, man, it was just so cool. Like that, that ecosystem is nuts. And so on a high tide, they have Creek systems through the Island and, uh, these, this, this high tide floods up into these creeks and it gets up into the, the mangroves there, which are like the aquatic, you know, bushes. And, uh, so it's pretty cool, man. You're just like swamp trotting through, you know, waist high mud <laughs> trying to be as quiet as you can to find these fish that are up in the trees. And then on the outgoing tide, they use that Creek system to exit those areas. And then on the incoming tide, they just do the reverse. So like a dead low incoming tide is your best pet. And having three days and trying to explore, we only had a couple of shots at incoming tides where we wanted to be. And so that was a little bit challenging. And then we caught the uh, full moon in April, which is like the spring full moon is a, is a beast. You could see that the high tide was sometimes big like, tide. dude, almost getting to the highway. So those fish are just freaking who knows That's where, right? there. Yeah. yeah. So this is just that excuse part where it's like, this is why I have a lot of pictures of sunsets and one little sprig of a mangrove and smashed upside down cars because there wasn't a ton of catching, but man. Is there, is there guides available there? Yeah, for in sure. In that area? Yeah, for sure. And like, if yeah. you wanted to like really kill it, obviously you would just hire the Rob Vanderkoy of Eleuthera. And they would pull you around and, and put you in front of fish that you wouldn't catch because you're terrible at casting. And then they would yell at you in the um, Creole Haitian dialect of English they speak and berate you and, and, and make you feel like a miserable. Yeah, they have a little being. different approach to guiding, don't they? Yeah. It, it's well. And so you guys talk about bed fishing with clients and how much that makes you want to quit. Imagine someone who's standing up at the front of the boat who can't cast a fly rod more than 30 feet, can't see any of the fish, and then just struggles and sucks miserably all day. And then probably talks about how bad of a guide you are. <laughs> you know what I mean? It's like, that's a thankless, yeah. thankless job, but we don't, we don't usually roll that way. And it's all good. On one of the days we, uh, we were fishing. It was just a, oh man, it was such an amazing Creek system and it was dead low tide. And that all of a sudden, once the tide started coming in, it was like bonkers how much water was flooding into this area. And I see this fish coming down one of the channels and he's probably in like two and a half or three feet of water. And he was so big. I thought he was a shark and, and the sharks have a real like lazy serpentine swimming style. And this one had like a, a deep forked tail and he was cruising. It was a giant, man. I don't know how big that fish was, maybe North of eight. And I actually made a pretty damn good cast to it. And uh, he just refused it. And I was just shaking like a leaf. Cause I was like, Oh, I finally like, Cause I had been sucking it up royally and you know, you have like 25 mile an hour winds all day. So like oh. casting is difficult. Seeing them is difficult. I mean, it's like literally the most masochistic style fishing there is, but it's so fun. And so I, I, I missed that shot. And then I glance up my brother's probably like 50 yards up the bank from me. And I see him stripping, which is a sign. Cause you don't, you know, you only cast when you see a fish. And then I see his rod just load up and he's hooked up and I'm like, yeah. And so I start, you know, trotting through the water. And, uh, it was the biggest fish of the trip. He caught a good one. It was probably like a four pounder, three and a half, nice. four pounder, but it was beautiful. Cause that was an ocean side system. And so those ocean side fish, they're, they're usually bigger and they are like bright chrome. Like, I mean, they're like so reflective. You need sunglasses to look at them because they wow. just have so much, um, camouflage. So he catches this just like awesome specimen. It's like the black gnarly bass that you'd, you know, like a seven pounder that comes out of the swamp and it looks all tough. That was like the bonefish equivalent of what he caught. 
So we can tell it's like, we've been struggling for two days. Like we're finally going to catch the tide on the spot. And dude, then I glance over my shoulder and I see this like local, probably like 200 yards away, kind of walking in our direction. I was like, ah, whatever. You could tell this was like a little local area that they had been catching. There's this seafood, the shellfish that they eat there called a comp. And I don't know if you guys are familiar with that, but it's mm-hmm. like the, the seashell is like the, maybe when you close your eyes and think of like a cliche seashell, they live in that, like that big conical one. So this was a conking spot. And so I was like, oh, I bet that guy's just like, you know, getting ready to do whatever. So my brother releases the fish and then I look over my shoulder and now he's like closed the gap halfway. And I'm like, oh man, this guy's walking out to us. Like, I wonder what's up. And all the locals are super friendly. It's kind of the opposite of what we encounter on some of our other trips. Everyone there is like, awesome christianity has the bahamas in its stranglehold so everyone there is like you know it's jesus definitely has a presence down there so everyone's real friendly and cool it was just kind of like no do not come talk to us now like we literally have 40 minutes of incoming tide like please just like keep going so it ended up being this guy comes up and he was sweet he was one of those people you could tell he was ancient but you couldn't tell how old he was and living's pretty hard down there you know so you can't tell like you know this dude's got like tattered clothing no shoes on and uh he he's like impossible to understand and it turns out that he's like the patriarch of that little community and he's like my brother was a fishing guide i'm a fishing guide here let me take you where the best action is and we're like oh and he doesn't have polarized sunglasses on and it's like dude you can't you can hardly see these fish with like polarized sunglasses let alone not but out of the kindness of our hearts, we go on this like waist deep death march through the bay to the other side. And I mean, there's like giant stingrays. I, I saw a shark there that was probably like three and a half or four feet long at one point. And we're like wading waist deep through this. And we trudge all the way across the bay. And of course, the school of bonefish aren't there. And you don't really want to catch the schoolies anyways, because they're all the small ones. You want the big singles that are cruising in. That's where like, you know, the good ones are. And we squandered that whole tide and it was, it was a little bittersweet, but the guy was cool, man. He was 70 years old and he's walking through waist high water with no shoes on, you know, and he's talking about, he's the, his great grandparents had been there and, you know, so it was a cool like glimpse back in time, but that was like our one window where we could have really made it happen. And we caught one good one. And then the next night we had one really good window of fishing where the most torrential thunderstorm ever uh, poured down on us and ruined the afternoon. And then it calmed down and, uh, they get so shallow. You can see them like they're tailing, like these fish are in like four inches of water. And that's the most exciting. Cause you can just see them tailing and you sneak up on them and you make your cast. And that was the one I caught and it was pretty small, but it was still fantastic end of the trip. How cool, dude. That's awesome. Yeah, thanks. And that there's got, cool. I mean, there is something really cool that you guys kind of did dial it in yourselves enough to, to get, to get on them and have some action like that. And, uh, I don't know, there, there's definitely something to be said for that too. Yeah. Thanks man. It's just fun. Like, you know, like we carry, it's like backpacking. So we have big backpacks and like I was eating tuna pouches on the sandy shores of like the most extraordinary beach you've ever seen in your life. No one else is there and I'm eating tuna. Like, you know, it's just kind of cool. It's like a backpacking trip, but there's no mountains. That's cool. How about in the evenings? Did you guys, uh, cook out or did you keep it super basic and simple there and eat, tuna and pb and j's and stuff too yeah we we luckily found a restaurant that was pretty solid so we at least got one good hot meal every night and dude it's funny people uh they're like hitchhikers to the max in the bahamas the locals are and so one night we drove into the next uh um 
what do they call them? Uh, not communities. There's a different word. It's like a, every little, um, township there has like a couple hundred people. So we had driven up to the next one. It was like 20 minutes away. And there's these two ladies, like older ladies on the side of the road and the rain is just pouring down. And I'm like, well, we got to stop and take them. Dude, we picked up these two plastered drunk ladies in their late fifties, man. You couldn't understand a word they were saying cause they're drunk and they sound like, like the Haitian Creole version of Cliff Crochet. It's English, but you don't know what they're saying. And dude, they're yelling at my brother. It is our first night and we're driving on the wrong side of the road in a rainstorm. Everyone has like one headlight on their car and this road is narrow. There's no center stripe and they're berating him. Go straight up, straight up over here, over there. And like, oh man, you'd think if someone was kind enough to pick you up in a rainstorm and drive you 10 miles that you'd be nice to them. But uh, maybe they were being nice. We just couldn't understand what they were saying, but we got a good laugh out of that. Unreal. Rob, you don't look like you've ever picked up a hitchhiker. No, never. Especially in, uh, yeah. <laughs> no. Well, when you go to Eleuthera, man, it's the way of the, it's the way of the world there. Dude, what a trip. That's yeah, crazy. Pretty wild. It was fun. It's so un, untouched too. So it's just beautiful, man. Like the, the Caribbean sea and then the Atlantic ocean on the other side, it's a, interesting. There's actually one little bridge as you're driving down the Island and it's this bridge, it's a one lane bridge. And on the right side, on the east side is the Atlantic Ocean. And it's this color blue, like you can't believe it must be 20,000 feet deep right on the other side of this bridge. I mean, it is like dark blue. And then on the other side, the west side of that bridge, it's eight inches deep and it's turquoise, sand flat, just like beauty. So, and ah, man, we saw these places where, you know, we hiked through the swamp with our boots and backpacks on for 40 minutes and then dump out of this creek into just like white sugar sand picturesque caribbean beauty and there's no one else around so it was cool for sure i was gonna ask did you see any other fly fishermen no thank god we're worried because easter is a big you know the east coast the bahamas is their version of what maybe on the west coast is like san diego or something you know what i mean like it's like their vacation spot and so we were dreading that but dude we didn't see one other angler it was awesome there can't be too many guys that DIY that deal, is there? I mean, well, that's got to be a pretty is. rare deal. Unless, I mean, unless you've done it, and then I guess if you do it every year, you'll get it dialed in. But and there for sure, I think there's still just enough interest in it that there are those. But man, mm-hmm. the Bahamas is, and I'm going to be wrong on this, but it's, I think it's at least 20 separate islands that are recognized, and then countless like little uninhabited islands. So I mean, there is just like tons of room to spread Dude, out huh? seven lifetimes yeah. of fishing yeah. that you could do there i mean it's it's cool man it's so cool is what's the main i mean how do people make a living there <laughs> good question after meeting the patriarch of deep creek i think the living is like three conks a week dude like you could just tell he was skinny as a pole but it's yeah. tourism you know what i mean once right. upon a time they had a sugarcane industry there you know because the bahamas is a trip because of the history there right so like the Uh, One of the islands in the Bahamas was the second stop for Columbus. And so the native people there were pretty much the first genocide of the new Western world. So now, you know, the locals are pretty much all black and they're the descendants of slaves that had been brought there for the sugarcane industry that kind of went bust. So it's just crazy, like to see all of that, you know, like the last 400 years, it almost feels like it hasn't changed in a way. And so, I think tourism is their main industry, bro. And then a little bit of commercial fishing to support the tourist restaurants and that's it. Yeah. 
pretty interesting, man. Yeah. I mean, it sounds new to the way you describe it. It really does sound like it would be an amazing trip to go on. Like I would love to, to try that sometime for sure. And you could do it much less extreme. You know, it's a fantastic family destination because the ocean is warm. Um, I mean, dude, I saw hundreds of sea turtles. I saw so much cool stuff. And I mean, you could, the family could kayak, they could paddleboard, the beaches are safe. Like the people are friendly. We just did it on an extreme tilt, but man, it's such an awesome family friendly destination. I just would say, don't go to Nassau. Cause that's just where all the, like the senior frog drunken, you know, tourists staggering down the street are. If you get outside the beaten path, oh my gosh, it's epic. Pretty interesting. Yeah, that's cool. It's not hard to get there. Take a flight to Miami and then you have a bunch of different options from there. And it's, it's cool for sure. Yeah. And the scope of things compared to where some people travel to fish, that's not bad at all. Especially for if you how, live in the Southeast, that's very easy. But. Dude, and for how remote it is, you'd think you took a flight to like the Seychelles off the coast of Africa. <laughs> sure. So pretty cool. Wow. That's awesome, dude. Nice. Um, and a fly rod packs a lot easier than a bass rod. Dude. That's the beauty of that, man. And even if you're God awful, terrible, like I am, at least you still have like (laughs) so much less gear. (laughs) Yeah. Can you spin fish down there? Is that a thing or is that not? For sure you could. No, you could for sure. You just, you know, your, your friends will look down on you because you did it the easy way. So no, many times as I was like, finally getting an opportunity and I would make a terrible cast or like spook them. I was like, dude, if I just had like a spinning rod and like a little hair jig, I could hit this fish on the head from like 120 feet out and catch him. But, right. you know, also if catching was the, the only thing you were going for, you just get a guide, you know? Interesting. Yeah. Have you, That's Rob, cool. have you had any fly fishing clients over the last year or two? No, I have not. It's, it's definitely not a common thing here. Right on. But there was a while there were, there was a handful of guys wanting to catch stripers on it and, yeah, it just it's not a it hasn't really been a thing. It's just in open water, especially in the bass world, it is just so much harder. You know, yeah. it just really is. But and you just you're limited to your presentation, you know, because like my brother fly fished when we did Oviachik last year, and like he was able to catch fish, but dude, when you start fishing thirty feet down on structure, like you can't oh, present down there. Brutal. Like, you know, even with a full sink line on an eight weight, you know it would take so long to sink that thing down 15 or 20 feet that your cast would be, you know, and then the trolling motor's constantly moving. So that cast gets destroyed and then you strip in and try again. And yeah, there's just a time and a place where it's not practical, but then there's a time and a place where it's far more practical than conventional fishing. It just depends on, you know, where you're at and what you're doing. That's cool. Actually, what, I actually thought about it with the way the stripers are going. It would be pretty fun to bring a fly rod. Stripers tend to lend themselves you yeah. know, to it for sure. Yeah. But yeah. then you're fighting one forever versus getting another <laughs> one. <laughs> Dude, you could get a little philosophical. It's funny. Four days of hallucinating in the sun, eating tuna packets and catching nothing and all by yourself makes you get philosophical. And I thought about just what you said. It's like, you know, all the times that I've caught fish, hardly even noticed I caught one, threw it back just so that I could cast again to catch another. It's like, interesting. Now here I am catching nothing humbling myself being terrible it's like i never appreciate those other fish enough like <laughs> the fight the eat everything i hear that yeah yeah that's the truth that's a good point yeah bass everyone always uh any non-bass fisherman will watch a bass fisherman 
I think they hate crack fish. a hook set, wrench <laughs> yeah. a fish into the boat, skip it across the surface, sling it into the boat, <laughs> toss it back in the water and be like, what the hell did I just watch? Like why? <laughs> it's very violent. <laughs> <laughs> why are they doing it like that? You know, it's very different from a lot of other forms of fishing, but I think bass fishermen uh, are very result oriented. You know, my, my, that's how I am, dude. I mean, I love the process of the whole thing, but, uh, Dude, I mean, it's all about the results and it's all about what you catch and, and, uh, I don't know, not all about it, but it's just like compared to fly fishing is, is a, a lot of the opposite of that for sure. Yeah. You just love torturing fish. That's all. Yeah. I just, I look at that bite at Pleasant, like you literally could have lined up 20 dudes and, and literally had everybody hooked up and just like, if you just handed the rod off and let him fight it, <laughs> you understand what I'm saying? Like, yeah. I can't imagine how many you could what catch. What size you... are those fish right now? They're like three to six pounds. Oh, so he's not great ready. fish, yeah. man. Oh. Yeah. All right, yeah, take me tomorrow. Fun. I'll be okay. ready. Come pick me up. Let's do it. Yeah, come pick me up. That's cool. What, is that not how the deal works? Yeah. Yeah, but if does. you don't get on him, he's going to talk smack. Of course. Exactly. Well, he's a guide. I can't get past your guard check, so. Hey. Well, maybe I'll put you on the <laughs> list. <laughs> Uh, but yeah, man, it's fun. So if you ever, anyone listening or you guys ever want to just like experience some saltwater, you know, relaxation, I don't know if there's a better place. It's awesome. Yeah, that's cool, man. Right on. Well, um, hopefully you guys can get on the water. I know Rob, you got a couple trips coming up. Hopefully, uh, you know, if things slow down, Nick, you can, you can slide out there. Um, I'll definitely be on the water this week over at Lake of the Ozarks. There is, um, it's, there's a 300 or three, I'm not even kidding here, a 3,000 boat <laughs> big bass bash going on this weekend out there. Good. So it'll have a week to, uh, to settle back down and, the, <laughs> and there will be a, uh, a big wave of spawning fish coming up. So I, to be honest, I'm not too concerned. It's more of a comical thing to talk about, but really on the, in the grand scheme of things, it's not going to affect the fishing too much. And uh, we'll be at them next week. And uh, I'm sure we'll have a, a report to talk back then. And um, we've been teasing a couple of these stories and guests. We've got a, a, a buddy that is going to come on. We, he was going to come on today, but he ended up being a, a fish in another tournament, but uh, he's got the hotel stories of all hotel stories tournament travel wise and uh i've been sitting on this for a while it's been hard not to tell it myself but he'll do a much better job so um we'll try to get him on next episode yep you guys have anything else to add before we wrap it up no sir just uh thanks for being patient guys and uh it's always fun to do it heck yeah well thank you guys very much we will uh, be back at you soon thanks have a good one